0: Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Our guest today is recognized as a leading authority on the therapeutic uses of cannabis and has authored or co-authored dozens of papers in a wide variety of scientific subjects. Uh, He's been on this program before. Matter of fact, uh, he was the eighth interview we did. We welcome back Dr. Bob Melamede. Bob, thanks for doing this.
1: Howdy, my pleasure. Thank you for doing this.
0: Bob, when you travel the world, speaking at various conferences and talking to people, are you noticing that people are having a greater understanding of the medical benefits of cannabis than, say, five or ten years ago?
1: What's so amazing is the people, especially depending on where you are, have amazing knowledge at this point. I just got back recently from the Balkans where I was in Croatia and Serbia and Macedonia and uh, Slovenia. I think the bulk of the people in those countries understand and know that cannabis is healthful. And that, well, let me, let me restate that, that the oil is healthful and cures cancer, among other things. But most of those people still think that marijuana is the devil's weed. So you have this funny kind of absurdity occurring. Uh, whereas in and but the doctors, depending on the country, are much more open to learning especially i found that to be true in serbia where even though everything is illegal in serbia the doctors actually help patients uh, you know with oil in the hospitals you bring it and they you know know you're using it etc etc so there's there's a lot of paradoxical and uh, confusing and inconsistent things around the world but i would say that the people around the world have exploded now with their awareness. And what we're seeing is the expected lag from the blips that constitute the government and the regulatory agencies, the idiots of
0: the world. The idiots of the world. Yeah, the the people are well ahead of the politicians and the medical authorities.
1: Way, way, way ahead. But again, (laughs) depending on the country, you know. Uh, There are places, for example, I'm doing work in Suriname, and I think that in a fairly short period of time... Uh, We're going to see quite a revolution in there and a few other countries because of uh, what the people are now seeing in terms of, you know, the the, the problem is doctors and scientists, they don't talk with patients. They talk with cells and tissue culture, you know, and, and rats, mice. And if they would only listen to the patients and direct the studies based on what we already know, rather than them trying to invent the wheel by using tissue culture and animal studies. We got the ultimate answers in people. We know it works. We know the quantities. Why don't you do the studies and find out what's going on biochemically? For example, find out whether I'm right or whether they're right about their view of the scientific world and how cannabis works.
0: Bob, you know, one of my pet peeves is uh, the poor quality of medical science today. And Dr. Marsha Engel... She's the former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, said this in January of 2009. It is simply no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I have reached slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as an editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. There's also another quote here from Richard Horton, Uh, April 15th uh, of 2015, he was the editor of The Lancet. He said, The case against science is straightforward. Much of the scientific literature, perhaps half, may simply be untrue. Afflicted by studies with small sample sizes, tiny effects, invalid exploratory analyses, and flagrant conflicts of interest, together with an obsession for pursuing fashionable trends of dubious importance... Science has taken a turn towards darkness. And the reason I bring that up is because... Could you
1: send me both of those? I would really love to have those and post those and have fun with them. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a matter of fact, uh, there's also another quote from uh, Marsha Engel. says, consider the clinical trials by which drugs are tested in human subjects. Before a new drug can enter the market, its manufacturer must sponsor clinical trials to show the Food and Drug Administration that the drug is safe and effective, usually as compared with a placebo or dummy pill. The results of all these are submitted to the FDA, and if one or two trials are positive, that is, they show effectiveness without serious risk, the drug is usually approved even if all other trials are negative. And the reason I have this issue as one of my pet peeves was the story that came out a couple of weeks ago, which said a study, it quoted a study, said that cannabis gets 93% of people off opioids. Now, I I agree with that. I totally agree with it. But here is my complaint. It wasn't a study. It was a questionnaire. A questionnaire to me is not science. What's your view of science today?
1: I, I do agree with those things, absolutely. And that has that's the tragedy of what has become, or science has become. It's a money generating machine for the survival of the scientists who buy into the perspectives that have become the established dogma. Well, that intrinsically means you're cutting out innovation. So once in a while you have innovative scientists and they make breakthrough discoveries. And then everybody else piles onto that. So what I'm saying is, the bulk of the scientists are really, you know, followers, not innovators and, and creative leaders. And that's the problem that I have because what I believe that I have accomplished is a very revolutionary view of biology that's based on a very revolutionary science called far from equilibrium thermodynamics, for which Ilya Prigogine got a Nobel Prize. And the way his science revolutionized physics, by applying it to biology, it revolutionizes our understanding of biology. And what it shows, from my perspective, is that the basis of the pharmaceutical industry is founded on non-scientific principles. Because, for example, let's look at these clinical trials. Why the first thing they have to do is a toxicology study. And that's because there's no history of that molecule. We don't have to do a toxicology study with marijuana because it's been used for 10,000 years. And we know all the ways it's been used. There's nothing that people, modern-day scientists, have suggested in terms of a use that hasn't already been done. But what they've done is they've trapped it into a system of regulation and control by closed-minded, narrow-minded Nazis who want to own things so that they can... Basically, be oppressors and suck out of the population more. And that's what we see happening everywhere in the world. But thankfully, because of computers and the net, and because people are speaking out and sharing knowledge and experiences, we now have a revolution in consciousness occurring at the level of the people. And the only way anything works scientifically, according to the version of science that I understand, is from the bottom up, not from the top down. So the fools that have been running the world, the cannabis deficient cavemen that got there by aggression and greed are now no longer fitting into the flow of consciousness and the change that's occurring on the planet. As we become more cooperative and less greedy, as cannabinoid consciousness, as the cannabis awakening spreads around the world, what we see is the increased cannabinoid activity in the human biochemistry in the chemical reaction called the planet Earth that continues to evolve with basically cannabis consciousness leading the way, which is why we see a continuous increase in cannabinoid activity in the most evolutionarily advanced areas of the brain.
2: Bob, earlier in uh, at the beginning, you mentioned uh, BLPs. Can you explain to people what you mean when you say BLP versus FLP?
1: Yeah, BLP stands for backward looking people, and FLP stands for forward looking people. And cannabis endowment uh, determines which class you fall into. If you make enough, if you're above average in cannabinoid activity, then you basically have the likelihood of being a forward-looking person, whereas if you make less than the average, then that's what I would call a backward-looking person. And sadly, because our endocannabinoid system regulates everything in our body from conception until death, what it basically is doing through the layers of molecular organization that constitutes life is it reduces stress. So if you don't make enough, you have stress. And what causes stress? Change, any change, good or bad. So without cannabis, the stress hurts you more than it does if you make enough endocannabinoids. And that that shades everything that you see because you become a negative person. Your default position is negative because you're afraid that the change is going to somehow take from you or harm from you. And you're trying to make everything static so you don't have any change because then you feel safe. Whereas the innovators and the cannabinoid endowed people – They're the people who explore and who take chances because they're optimistic, because they're more stoned than the other people. And that's a problem for the other people. And that shades our science in the most incredible way. Because, for example, I just posted this on the net so followers and friends can can see this type of interpretation. But, you know, what we have happening in so many of these studies where they always fall back to what about the children, you know? And they say that, oh, we can see an effect on the you know the brains. We don't want the brains to change. Well, guess what? If the brains didn't change, you'd still be a monkey, you know? <laughs> so since cannabis increase activity is characteristic of evolution, we should expect changes. And those changes are the ones induced by cannabis. But furthermore, all of these studies are totally not controlled. So all of these, you know, the, the, these paranoid scientists who say, what about the children? They don't have enough uh, scientific acumen to look at the very studies that they're using to support their retarded positions. And that's because when you have something that regulates everything in everyone's body, everyone has imbalances. So you take 10 people and they're suffering from 10 different things and you give them cannabis and you've cured 10 different people of 10 different things. And then you take away the cannabis and some of them couldn't sleep. So now they can't sleep. Some of them were irritable, and now they're irritable again. Some of them were in pain, so now they're in pain again. So the fucking assholes look at that and say, oh, look, they were addicted. What morons? It's the opposite. They had the nutrition, the elements that their body needed, and they were able to reverse the pain and the suffering that they were experiencing, unique for their biochemistry, and you took it away and and you call it addiction? This is just total idiocy.
0: Bob, I was watching a video of yours a couple of years ago in which you said that you have been taking cannabis, I believe, since you were 16. Yes. And you start your day off with 100 milli- milligrams of oil. And you don't get high, but you become high. Explain that.
1: Well... Right now, for example, I've had, you know, a significant amount of cannabis, both uh, a THC extract, at least 100 milligrams, I would say, and uh, a CBD also in those ranges, plus what I spread all over my legs and feet where I have neurological issues, you know. So what happens is this. Again, change is stress, Right. So when we're in our normal level of highness, whatever that is for an individual, because everybody's high to some extent. Remember, if you're a forward-looking person, you're higher naturally than a backward-looking person, which is why you're optimistic and deal with stress, okay? So when you are getting stoned, for example, the first time, the change in consciousness is not something you're familiar with and not something you know how to interact with. So you interact with it on a fairly unsophisticated level and you and you, you know, have fun with its effects, be it lack of memory or time dilation or enhanced sensitivity, sex, love, you know, all of the positive things that open minded people love about using cannabis. When you use it regularly, that becomes normal and you change your way of thinking. You become more like future man because you've opened your mind up. And life really should be a continuous process of opening up and embracing more, because that means you're able to sustain yourself. Because in order for life to exist, you have to take more negative entropy, more information out of the surroundings, and you've got to incorporate that into sustaining your complexity, That's what this physics tells me as I apply his physics to biology, you know, Prigogine's physics to biology. So uh, when you are stoned all the time, your frame of reference changes and it becomes normal. So even when I'm not stoned now, I never would return to various stages of my past mental unfolding, as I would call it. And uh, basically... What we see hap- has happened from an evolutionary perspective is man and the evolving brain, which is in man, at the, it's the high point. What we see is this increase in cannabis activity. So if we're always getting more stone, the cannabis receptor is always turned on, you know. It doesn't turn off completely. The only way you can turn it off completely is with an inverse agonist. Because cannabis has a base level of activity without anything being any cannabinoids activating that receptor. And cannabinoids then bring you above that baseline. But there are drugs that will literally turn off that receptor. And, of course, that's what the would have been a favorite approach by the Nazi fascist-minded fools. So they developed a drug at Sanofi Research called Ramonabond, which was a CB1-specific inhibitor. And years ago at a conference, I said to people, I said, why would anybody in their right mind want to use this drug? Well, it was not approved in the United States, but it was approved in Europe. And it went on market for two years before it was taken off because people were killing themselves. It's not good to turn off your CB1 receptor. And anybody with a brain who looked at the science that was available at that time would have known it because CB1 knockout mice, mice who are the ideal for that our governments want. They can't get high at all because they don't have a the receptor. They die prematurely, and they're so nervous and uptight that they just sit and shiver. You know, they're extreme blips. And that's what our government wants us to be by their prohibition, these idiots.
0: Bob, in your view, is the reason behind the major health problems that people are experiencing today a lack of cannabis within their system?
1: Well, there's two sides to the story. There's the one side where we are damaging ourselves, and then there's the other side where cannabis is the fix. So both of those statements, I believe, to be true. We live a life that's totally not founded on scientific reality. Let me give you a prime example of how science and the government have really, really fucked countless people and created countless illnesses, fat-free diets.
0: That's a disaster.
1: It's a disaster because it means you're only burning sugar. And sugar is what we use to activate efficient energy production, which is great for increasing our brain. And that's why the CB1 receptor has allowed for the evolution of our brain by taming how we do the activating so we don't generate too many free radicals and, and destroy the brain. Okay, So that's the magic of the CB1. But on the other hand, just like in society, if you're building and doing things, you're going to do two things. You're going to generate waste and destruction to some degree. And if you don't have a proper balance, you wind up not being able to breathe like in Peking or not being able to drink the water like in Flint, Michigan, or on and on and on. The same thing happens in your cells. If you don't recycle enough and if you don't prevent damages to begin with by doing the wrong things, then your reconstructive capacity is surpassed by your destructive capacity. And that is what we call aging. And what happens in all of us, depending on our genetics and our life history, as we age, the weak point in our flow becomes the illnesses that account for our aging and ultimate death. Well, what I'm suggesting is that the more we are aware of how life works and the more we process what comes into us as biochemical systems... And what comes into us can only exist in two forms. It's either the energy that comes in, which comes in through our nervous system, which is totally regulated by cannabinoids, or it comes in through our immune system in the form of the molecules that enter us, which is totally regulated by cannabinoids. So, you know, if you no matter where you look, we could start at hunger. We could go down to the esophagus and you see esophageal cancer. You see things like uh, it girds because the valve isn't closing properly. We have ulcers and stomach cancer. We have Crohn's disease. We have irritable bowel. We have bowel cancer. So you go right down the tube there, and you can see a whole lot of the problems. And then we, of course, have our kidney and liver cancer. All of these things ultimately are biochemical imbalances that are correctable by using more cannabinoids, but more wisely prevented by understanding how we work and stop doing the stupid shit that's killing us.
2: Yeah, amen. Bob, I wonder if you'd comment on this. I just thought of this. Um, So the other night, um, I do a maintenance dose of cannabis oil. And uh, I've been taking this particular oil for at least a month. And I did my usual amount, um, and then I also do a couple of CBDs and um, uh, a local product, which is basically um, uh, high uh, indica. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a painkiller, um, and I got. Absolutely blasted! I was killing myself laughing. I laughed and laughed and laughed, and I'm, I'm sure everybody could hear me in the complex because I was on my balcony, and we have company that just came up from Texas. And I just fell apart laughing, and I'm like, I have no idea why I'm laughing. Anyway, it was wonderful, but I'm thinking, holy crap, where did that come from? Because you know, any other night I can take it, and you know, I'm a little drowsy, and it's good night and go to bed, and uh, not this time.
1: Any thoughts Well, on I that? would say the most likely explanation from my experience would be that most of the time you don't eat your cannabis on an empty stomach, and this time you ate it before a meal, and the meal really brought it on quick and strong. Is that
2: possible? No, no, because I had eaten. I mean, I don't know if I had eaten very much, but... Um yeah, I don't know if maybe I was tired, or it was a bunch of stuff, but...
1: Or I mean, maybe they misdosed it, you know? Well, maybe yeah, you know.
2: who knows, right? Because I'm looking at looking at Wayne and saying, you know, did you give me, like, a different oil or something? Like, what the heck? But anyway, it was wonderful. It was great. I thought, how can, how can people be
1: afraid of this side effect, you know? I said, Well, no, you know, let, let, let's back up there. I, who love cannabis and have used psychedelics for many, many, many decades... I don't like and nobody likes, I think, when you take too much. And whatever that is for you, there is a too much. Because when you, for example, I made the mistake of eating a whole load when I hadn't been eating a whole load regularly. And I ate whatever it was. was way, way too much. Mm-hmm. I was on fire. I was going to a concert with Jackie up in Colorado back in the Tae. Right. And I was so uncomfortable, I cannot tell you. You know, I just wanted to keep it together and not die right now yeah. because I was on fire and I, was, I couldn't move and I, I couldn't even see the stage because I mm. was tripping my brains out. And after about an hour, I came down enough where I could see the stage and I enjoyed Crosby, Spills and Nash, but uh, very, very much so, a matter of fact, at that point. But for that first hour, it was horrible.
2: Yeah, that's no I'd fun. Say,
1: bad lsd experience you know you don't want to go there no but on the other hand you got to take those risks if you want to have all those benefits that are that are there
0: well that's an interesting point you make when you talk about risks because most people don't want to take risks they want to remain in their comfort zone and their comfort zone is when you don't grow you've got to get out of your well, that's comfort the blips zone. that's right exactly bob if you ended up with cancer what sort of treatment would you opt for
1: Oh, there's no question in my mind what I would do. I, I would probably start off with two grams of oil a day up my butt in the morning and then another two in the evening. And I would, you know, continuously increase my oral dose. Uh, you know, if I had lung cancer, I'd probably vape and smoke, which I normally do almost none of. I find that when you smoke and vape, I think your brain acts like a what, what we call in, the, in biology an affinity filter. You know, we have all of those CB1 receptors up there because it's the number one neurotransmitter in our brain. And you wind up pumping it right there directly without going through the liver. And I wonder, and I don't think anybody's ever done this study, but I suspect that we suck a lot of THC out right into the brain. And it doesn't doesn't get to the rest of the body in the same way. And what, what that does to, in my mind, for me and for many others that I've, I've spoken with, is it creates kind of an imbalanced high because your head is kind of too turned on and the rest of your body's not there. Whereas mm. when you have everything turned on by eating it, there's a holistic dynamic interaction that's intrinsically much more healthy and enlightening.
2: No, I'd agree with that. I absolutely agree yeah. with that, yeah. actually. Yeah.
0: Bob, in the United States, when do you see the day when cannabis will be legal both medically and recreationally at the federal level?
1: Within the next few years, because the idiots in their infinite ignorance have managed to create the experiment that will create their own destruction. Because what they've done is they've partitioned the population into the users and the non-users. Whether you look within a state where you might have a dry city in Colorado or whether you look between states where you have, you might compare Colorado to Mississippi, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or some of these other places. And what we've already seen over the past few years that it's been legal in Colorado, for example, and other states as well. In Colorado, there was a, something like, I think it was $120 million reduction in the use of federal health care funds. Because people would rather spend money out of their own pocket than... You know, do the other thing that costs more, even when you have health care, and doesn't really work. In fact, often does nothing but give you the side effects. So people have discovered, and they will continue to discover, because as soon as one person you know saves the life of their child, everybody that knows them knows what happened. And then when another child has something similar, they say, "Hey, what happened to so and so?" You know. So because what we are saying is true. there's no question about that it's going to organically just continue to spread and that's in line with what has always happened because that's how this cannabinoid activity has increased i mean i've got some very biased opinions that uh, the, the more rigorous scientists attack me for you know but i don't give a shit because they have never proven what i'm saying to be wrong all they do is voice their fears you know so there's a lot going on right now and the more cannabis we use, what I'll do is I'm going to tell you now some, some science that I believe to be true that is 100% heretical but is very, very, very powerful and totally in line with the physics that I base my thinking on. Normally, the way people look at things is that, for let's say, a breast cancer. Breast cancer has typically you know many, many different mutations in there. The standard belief is that, you know, uh, imbalances keep generating these mutations. And it's the mutations that are allowing for the survival of the cancer. So I want to flip that. And I want to say it's not the genetics that allowed for the survival in most of these cases initially. What it was was one of the multiple metabolic states that a cell can exist in allowed that cell to survive when you came in with chemo, for example, and therefore that cell was able to continue growing, and what it ultimately did as it divided was it wound up maintaining its metabolic profile, but because it was imbalanced, it wound up focusing change and mutations on the areas that were allowing survival, so what this does is it allows for a characteristic evolutionary molecular development of things like not just point mutations, but gene duplications and all sorts of uh, associated phenomena that become focused on the areas specifically giving change, because those are the ones that are expressed, whereas the genetic architecture of the cell hides the things that were doing the opposite. So what I'm basically saying is there's a different genetic architecture depending on whether you have a cell that is fat-burning or sugar-burning. And when cells are sugar-burning, they're constructing things but also destroying things. And if the balance is inappropriate, what you have to always make sure is have enough recycling, autophagy, which the Nobel Prize was just given to uh, the researchers discovered that, self-eating. But it's not random self-eating. It's eating damaged pieces. So every time you... You, you go on a diet and decrease your caloric intake sufficiently, you turn on recycling. But that's what happens with the CB2 receptor, and that's what happens via CBD by turning off the CB1 receptor. We're turning on these recycling mechanisms that allow cells to check themselves out, look at how bad they are, fix what they can, hopefully become a normal cell, but also become a cancer cell and uh, so basically what i'm saying is is very lamarckian that metabolism becomes the genetics not genetics does the metabolism that comes after you select for the metabolism
0: bob what did you think a couple of years ago when angelina jolie got a double mastectomy because she had this gene which she felt would give her cancer or she believed it would give her cancer
1: Yes, I absolutely. She did a wise thing, but maybe not the wisest. Um, There are people who are very much destined to have cancer. And I'm going to give you a story now that parallels the Jolie story, but shows you how profound and unbelievable this cannabis story can be. And I'm not going to go into all the details because it's my friend's work. And we're going to eventually put it together in in a very significant paper. But let me give you the following. So typically, you know, we have DNA repair systems. And those repair systems generate, you know, repair the the radical, free radical damage that we uh, create by being alive and by x-rays. And that was, and by various chemicals as well. And that's what's known as the base excision repair. And that's actually what I got my degree in. So my expertise is in DNA repair. But there's another branch of DNA repair known as nucleotide excision that fixes big damages rather than little damages. And it does it in a slightly different way. And um, there are mutations in the genes responsible for fixing ultraviolet light damage in DNA. And those people who suffer from that is a disease called xeroderma pigmentosum. They cannot go out on the, in the sunlight without getting cancer. So they you know all forms of skin cancer basal cell, squamous cell, and melanoma, as well as it destroys their retina so they go blind. So th- this is, you know, a- another type of mutation akin to Jolie's mutation, all right? Well, we now have a person who's totally reversed their melanoma, their blindness is in the process of being reversed, and all of their tumors are going away. And
2: this is a child, isn't it, Bob?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. You know, I have PTSD, so whenever I think about it, it breaks me up. So I have to apologize, but I see this person's face and I see what I've seen happening to him. But the most profound thing that just tears me up is because he was blind, he couldn't go to school. And he was in so much pain, all he wanted to do was die. And now he can read again. and He's doing the multiplication tables and he wants to go back to school and live.
0: You know, Bob, when we first interviewed you, it was in episode eight. And I've got to tell you, I knew virtually nothing about cannabis. And over the course of the more nearly 180 interviews we've done, we've interviewed people who have just made some absolutely incredible uh, recoveries from deadly diseases. And uh, it is remarkable what cannabis can do. If people just do their own research, look into it, try it. Get out of your comfort zone and try it and see what it does for you. Because we're all different. We all react to it differently. So find out what works for you. Give it a try. And people, I think, will make some remarkable changes in their health if they just do that. Do you agree? But
1: now think of what you just – absolutely, I agree. But think of what we've been talking about and what you just said. Who are the people more likely to use it? It's the flips, yeah. not the blips. Yeah, And this goes back to the original statement that we, we never finished answering, the epidemiological experiment that has been created by prohibition. So what we've seen is not only a decrease in the use of federal funds, but we see things like, for example, potheads in general are thinner. Well, why are they thinner if they all have the munchies? because they're also turning on, to some degree, fat-burning via the CB2. And therefore, they're recycling their damaged body pieces, cellular pieces, all right? So that's one very, uh, very important component of, of how we need to look at these things. But I think what's really, really profound, and, and I, I believe this now more and more and more, because it's the only way I can explain all of the things that we see that you know that we understand as normal cannabis outcomes, but the rest of the world looks like looks at and says they're miracles. You know,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah.
1: I understand all of them because of my science gives an explanation for it. You know, this far the application of Prigogine's work to biology tells you that we are in a state of constant flux and change, and that if we balance the flow appropriately, we don't decline as rapidly. And it's that simple. You know, that's why it's an anti-aging drug. As you and I were discussing earlier, the benefits that you and I, who, you know, me in particular, I suffer from significant olfartitis. But I've been able to apply my thinking and reverse so much of what would be otherwise. I feel that if I didn't do what I've done over the past, say, five to ten years, I would be as you were describing other people of our of our age you know a crippled old man looking like your grandfather instead of feeling vital and healthy and happy so there are amazing opportunities because cannabis in my mind and I can provide scientific validation for the basis of where I'm gonna go but not for the outcome because that's a logical extension of the basis but we're gonna learn more and more how to really heal ourselves, because by doing the fat-burning thing with cannabis and other nutritional modifications, we can stimulate our stem cells. Your stem cells expand when they're in the fat-burning mode, because they normally are hanging out you know, uh, in a quiet way, but when, when you need to replace damaged cells, like in your brain, for example, then those stem cells can actually migrate and replace damaged cells and connect new wiring, for example, in the brain, but in other areas of the body, we can regrow and heal. And the extent to which that happens now is largely done by accident. And what I'm suggesting is the more we change the way we process the flow of life that is us and make it more consistent with the physics that explains how we got here, what we are and where we're going, the more we become consistent with that, the greater the mind-body connection becomes. And that future man will be able to heal himself much better because we'll be able to not only take in cannabinoids, but we'll be able to utilize them through our mind-body connection, through our consciousness, which is what accounts for some of these spectacular things that we see happening around the world, you know, what I would call voodoo-type phenomena that don't make scientific sense if you look at it in a conventional sense. But the more you loosen your brain up to understanding flow and the magic of what is in the universe in which we're an evolving little fart in the wind and we think we have something we are something we're nothing but part of the unfolding universe and it has rules and because we're too stupid to know those rules we die at the ages that we die at and with the illnesses that we uh, that we have and as we undergo a far from equilibrium phase change Because we are now going, we are in the process right now of selecting for flips, not blips. And that selection process will select for the metabolism of open-mindedness, etc. That will create epigenetic changes in our sperm and in our eggs that will carry on the psychological attitudes that allow for increased consciousness in society. And obviously, I'm totally fucking insane. No,
0: <laughs> no it's always an education to uh, listen to you. It's great to talk to you. Bob, thanks for your time. It was wonderful. My pleasure.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, Bob. Peace and love. Peace and love back at you. <laughs>
0: If you'd like to help us out here at Cannabis Health Radio, then go to our webpage and make a donation to allow us to continue bringing these interviews of people around the world. And wherever you are, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website. CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis
1: podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what
0: makes them unique on Everything is Personal.